And almost as quick as the day begun, and it comes to a close. It has been so good to be with you today. And for the fine fashion in which you have led our singing, brother, we so do appreciate it for the prayers that have been led in our hearing, for the opportunity to assemble around the table of the Son of God, to partake of the emblems, and to study just a portion of His Word. I want to reiterate how thankful I am for the opportunity to bring my family down to meet you guys for the support that you have given us in our endeavor to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. It is a blessing to have been here to meet you today. James would say in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, But put away all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is likened to a man who beholdeth his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and he goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man that he was." But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, verse 25, and continues therein, him not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man will be blessed in his deeds. The title of the lesson lesson this afternoon is The Mirror of the Soul. You know, mirrors have interested mankind for a long, long time. And we no doubt use mirrors every day. Uncivilized people would have taken interest in the non-polluted streams as they would see their reflection. And that's not a good mirror, but it would no doubt have interested them. Man has made many, many mirrors to look into the body. But God has a mirror that He can take and He can use that mirror and look into the soul. James 1, to 24 And the point of the lesson this evening is to be doers of the Word. I recall John 6, and 45, where the Bible says that we must learn of God, and then we come to God through that knowledge of after hearing and learning of God. The psalmist said that, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterwards... Receive me up to glory, Psalm chapter 73 and verse 24. Mirrors show that which needs to be changed. You know, mirrors which men make have imperfections. I think of the mirrors that we find in the fun houses and the haunted houses, and they're created and they're made for just that purpose, to give a distorted picture, a distorted view. But God's mirror does not do that. God's mirror does not give a distorted image. It shows the true reflection. James 1.25 says it's perfect. And so God's perfect mirror will show you just how you stand before your God and just the relationship that you have with your God. So the purpose of the mirror is to give a true reflection. It tells it just like it is, whether it be good or bad. And if corrections need to be made, it's up to the individual then to make those corrections. 
You don't get up in the morning and look into the mirror and then call your spouse or your child and say, I've got a correction here that needs to be made. My hair needs combing. No, we don't do that. When we look into the mirror and we see the corrections that need to be made, it is up to us, the individual, to make the corrections. Isn't that what John said? John said, if you confess the sins of your spouse, he is faithful. No, he didn't say that, did he? He said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1 and verse 9. Now, God does not force us to make corrections, does he? You remember in Joshua 24, Joshua said, if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you shall serve whether you serve the gods of your fathers on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, he said, we will serve the Lord. Now, God could no doubt put us in some type of bondage and make us to serve Him. But that would not be willingly us rendering our heart unto Him. Somebody could come into this assembly and Take out a pistol and pull the hammer back on that thing and stick it to your head and say, you follow me or else. And no doubt, we'd probably follow them. But that would not be willingly yielding our heart. You know, Jesus said the first and great commandment is this. To love your Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Matthew 22 and 37. For this is the first and great commandment. Jesus in Matthew 15, 8 said, these people, this people, they honor me, they draw nigh to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips. But what? Their hearts are far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. God has always demanded the heart. And when we look into God's Word, when we look into God's perfect mirror, it's not always pleasing to us, is it? I mean, we think that we're doing really good we, we, we think we're doing pretty good but then we look into the mirror and it shows some changes that need to be made that's not always pleasing but we know that just looking at self doesn't change self we must look into the mirror and then obey and make those corrections matthew seven twenty one through 23 not everyone that saith unto me lord lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he that doeth the will of my father which is in heaven For many will say unto me in that day, Have we not prophesied in thy name and cast out demons? And have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? Jesus said, But then I will say unto them, Depart from me, I never knew you. I don't know whose name you did it in, but you didn't do it in my name. Depart from me. You see, James 1.22 says, Be ye doers of the word. That's obedience. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things in which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. You see, when we look into God's perfect mirror, it's up to us to do the obeying. It's up to the authority to give the commandment. But it's up to us as subjects to be obedient to the king. If we see our imperfections and we don't change, friends, we have wasted our time. Because knowledge will not save us. It takes knowledge plus obedience. And that is what will save a man.
Now, God's mirror reveals many things to us. For one, it reveals our origin. We quoted some of these verses this morning. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And he said, Let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness. For in the image of God made he him male and female, created he them. Genesis 2 and 7, The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. See, we see our origin in God's perfect mirror. We see that God created, don't we? You're not a monkey. There's not anyone in this assembly that's descended from the monkeys. There's not a monkey anywhere that has a soul. But yet, even some within the Lord's church today will say, oh yes, evolution is wrong, and they're right, it is wrong. Nothing farther from the truth. But then, they'll turn around and give in to what is called theistic evolution. They'll say, well, God created the very first speck of life, and then He just backed up and everything evolved from that. And friends, that is wrong. The people that affirm that belief are lost for denying the very body of doctrine that has the power to save their souls. Friends, God created. And His perfect mirror reveals that to us, but it also reveals the worth of your soul. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life will lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my name's sake will find it. He goes on to say, what would it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? I wonder what the rich man would give in exchange for his soul if he could have come out of that Hadean realm and accessed the wealth that he had upon this earth. What would he have given for his soul? Friends, he would have gave it all. He would have gave it all, but he left it all, and so will we. There's no pockets in a shroud. There's no happy hunting ground over there. When we leave this life and enter that vast vacuum of eternity, it is finished. And then we will give an account to God for the way we have lived our life. You know, Jesus said here in this text, what would it profit? If a man should gain the whole world and yet the contrast is lose his soul. Jesus was saying that you could take the economy of every seaport, seacoast town from Maine to Miami and you could add it all up. And then you could get into the Forbes magazine, the Fortune 500 companies, and you just list their worth and their economy, and you add it all up. And that does not equal the value and the price of one rank sinner's life. What would it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? There's never been a man who has gained the whole world. Just imagine one single person amassing every bit of wealth that could ever be amassed on the face of this earth. And if he lost his soul, he lost that which was most precious to him. He gained something he could never keep, and he lost something he could never regain. What would it profit? God's perfect mirror reveals unto us the worth of our soul.
God's perfect mirror also reveals to us our doings. In Romans 3 and 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I know that we live in the South and sometimes we quote that, y'all have sinned. But it doesn't say you all have sinned. It says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. In Galatians chapter 5, Verses 19 to 21, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. God's perfect standard reveals that to us. His perfect mirror reveals the doings of man and what man cannot do and expect to enter the kingdom of God. To expect to inherit that glorious inheritance that he has for all those who would be found faithful, who would be found forgiven of these things. God's perfect mirror shows us that the Word of God is quick and powerful, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, and that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it piercing to even the dividing of sunder of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. But the text goes on to say that neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. All things are naked and open unto Him with whom we have to do. There's nothing that we can hide from God. God's perfect mirror reveals the omniscience and the omnipotence and the omnipower of God Almighty. That there's no secret sin that God cannot see. There's nothing that we can do and hide from His face. All things are naked and open unto Him with whom we have to do. And there's no wonder why Solomon penned in Proverbs 15 and 13 that the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. God's perfect mirror also reveals God's remedy for sin. John 1.29, John said Jesus coming and he said, Behold the Lamb of God which cometh to take away the sin of the world. John seeing Jesus, that word behold there is an interesting word. It means stop what you're doing. It means stop what you're doing. Something very important is about to happen. Behold, stop what you're doing. Pay attention Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Revelation 13, 8 calls Him the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And that is God's remedy for sin. God's perfect mirror reveals our needs. Romans 5, 8 and 9, But God commendeth His love to us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood that we should be saved from wrath through Him. There's a need. 
There's a need that we have to be justified by the blood of Christ to be saved from wrath through Him. To be saved from the wrath that God is going to pour out upon all humanity. And this world is going to be burned up in the moment of a twinkling of an eye. This world has never seen the wrath of God like will be poured out on the last day, on that great day. But those of us who have made a response to the love of God and given our bodies to be buried with Him, crucified that old man in that watery grave of baptism, covered by the blood, friends, we can stand then before God justified. The simple definition of that is just as if I had never sinned. And when I am covered by the blood of Jesus, then God can then look down on me and I can be just living before Him. I don't know of anything that is sweeter and finer than that precious promise. We also are revealed, and God's Word reveals to us that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. There's a need. We need rest. But Jesus calls those who work, those who labor, and He promises them rest. There is no rest apart from work and apart from labor. But God's perfect mirror also reveals to us our duty. You cannot think of your duty as a New Testament Christian without Mark 16 and 15 being the first verse that comes to mind. Go preach the gospel. That is why we are here. That, that, is, that is the sole purpose of obeying the gospel. Go preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Why do we preach the gospel? Well, 2 Corinthians 5 and 11 gives us a hint as to why. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing the terror of the Lord, the wrath that is going to be poured out on all the disobedience. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We preach the gospel and we try to convince people of their need to be baptized and to be buried in that watery grave so they too can be justified by the blood of Christ. But that's not the only reason. Hebrews 10, 31. Oh, what a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Oh, what a fearful thing to be cast on that left-hand side in that final day. To hear those words, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness, you work iniquity. Oh, what a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, Solomon said that man's whole duty... Solomon, this man who had the greatest amount of wealth, I mean, he had the purse strings of Israel. He had the, the military might, the greatest military of all nations. He had tried wine, women, and song. And he said at the end of his life, 
Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. And he closes that great chapter by saying, man's whole duty is to fear God and to keep His commandment. That is the conclusion of the matter. And God's perfect mirror reveals your destiny. Jesus said in John chapter 5, Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming when all that are in the grave shall hear my voice and will come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life and they that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Friends, there's, there is a resurrection. There's a resurrection unto life. and There's a resurrection unto death. Unto condemnation. And it's one of the two. It's not a... It's not a, there's not a middle ground, there's no gray area. 2 Corinthians 5 and 10 says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things that we have done in our body according to that which we have done, be it good or be it bad. You know, we're being judged even now as we live. We're either in Christ or we're out of Christ. We either die in Christ or we die outside of Christ. So the judgment day is not a huge, a big decision-making day, is it? We are being judged even now as we live. So what's the judgment day for? The judgment day will be everybody's day in court. It'll be to put out final little fires. You know, people are going to want to argue with God. What do you mean, people But Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not done many wonderful works and cast out devils in my name? Do you hear them arguing with God? See, the day of judgment, God's going to settle all those final arguments. But the decision's made. We're casting the final vote even as we live. So we must take a good look at ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. Uh, prove your own selves, examine yourselves. How do you, how that you know that Christ Jesus be in you? Paul said, unless you be reprobate. Paul said that if Christ Jesus is not living in you, then you're reprobate. And so we must examine ourselves, look into God's perfect mirror, see the corrections that need to be made, and then be willing to obey and to make those corrections. And only then, after we have gone to God's perfect mirror, can we pray that prayer that David prayed in Psalm chapter 139, when he said, Search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Try me. And know my thoughts. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Only after going to God's perfect mirror and seeing the problems that we have in our life and making the adjustments that we need to make to be, to be right in the mirror of God and God's sight, only then can we pray that prayer. Search me, know me, try me, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Now, we don't need to get mad at the mirror. You know, when I get up in the morning and I've got, I look in the mirror and I've got a, a zit on my head the size of a half dollar and I'm 50 pounds overweight, I don't get a hammer and break the mirror. But why do we get mad at God's mirror? 
The atheist looks into God's mirror to see that he's a fool. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Psalm chapter 14 and verse 1. Now he's got a decision to make. He can either change or he can stay the way he is. And he may get mad at you for holding up the mirror to him. You ever had anybody get mad at you for holding up God's standard to them? But they're really not mad at you. They're mad at God. You remember what God told Samuel in 2 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 7. He said, Hearken unto the people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me. That be God that I should not reign over them. We're not really being rejected when people reject our message. They're not rejecting you. They're not rejecting me. In, in reality, they are rejecting God. But you know, the Christian can get mad at God's mirror too. We're not just going to pick on the atheist here. Christians get mad at God's mirror too. You know, Titus chapter 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men... Teaching us that, now here's where people get mad, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, does it make us mad when God demands that we live a certain type of life before Him? Does it make us anger us when He demands that we be separate and apart from the world? Some Christians get mad over that. What about Matthew 19, 9? You know, there's Christians that get mad over this verse. I'm watching a, a little clip. I don't know if any of you are familiar with Pat Robertson. If you are, run. But this heretic the other day, I saw a clip that said, he was talking about Matthew 19, 9, and he said that Jesus just got so legalistic right here. I think old Pat forgot who has the authority to give the law. But people get mad at this verse when he says that whosoever shall put away his wife except it be for the cause of fornication and shall marry another committeth adultery and whosoever shall marry her which is put away doth commit adultery. They'll say, what does that mean, preacher? Well, it means that whosoever shall put away his wife except it be for the cause of fornication and shall marry another doth commit adultery and whosoever marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. Well, explain that to me. Well, it means that whosoever shall put away his wife and shall marry another, except it be for the cause of fornication, commits adultery, and whosoever that marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. Friends, that doesn't need explaining. That needs believing. That needs teaching. And that needs accepting. It's perfect in what it says. Jesus knew exactly what God meant for the family and the relationship and the marriage. It doesn't need explaining. It needs accepting. And friends, if a man and a woman cannot accept Matthew 19, 9, and they cannot understand the plain teaching therein, they are in no way capable of being a helpmeet to their partner in life. And they don't need to worry about it because they'll have a baby pass into heaven. They're not accountable before God if you cannot understand Matthew 19 and verse 9. But you know, that's not the only verse that Christians get mad at. Christians get mad at 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Where Paul said, As I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And people say, Oh, I don't, 
I want that new boat motor so bad. Or I want that new hunting rifle or that new camouflage. And God owns it all anyways. Why do I have to give of my means? I want all this other stuff. Friends, we owe to the good Lord, to God and His church to help further the kingdom, to save mankind from the utter destruction that waits them in eternity if they are not found in a right relationship with God. And so we can go in person. We can go in purse. We can go in both. But go we must. Maybe the erring Christian gets mad when he reads Ezekiel 3 and 20. When the Bible says that when a righteous man turns from his ways, he said, I'll lay a stumbling block before him. Reckon that makes people mad? I don't know. Maybe the Aryan Christian gets mad at 2 Peter 2 and 20 through 22, where Peter said, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of this world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again overtaken and entangled therein, he said, The latter end is worse for them than it was in the beginning. For it happened unto them like the true proverb, For the dog has returned into his vomit, and the sow after being washed to his wallowing in the mire. People get mad at, Mark 16 and 16, where the Bible says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And they'll say, well, I know it's commanded, but you ain't got to do it. Now, how silly is that? How, how silly is that to think that I could com- you could command your children, okay, now children, go to bed. But you really ain't got to do it. Now, would they know what to do in that situation? No. No, they would not. Some people get mad at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 to 9, where the Bible says that for the Lord Jesus shall descend from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. You hear it today, God is so loving. It's all love, love, love. And God is love. But God is just. And God is merciful to us in that He is suffering long with us. But there will come a day when the righteousness of God will be revealed and sin will be punished. And those who do not know Him will be punished. Those who have spurned the opportunities like you have right now to become obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hell is so horrible in the fact that everyone who has spurned that opportunity will remember it for all eternity. Remember every time they grip the back of that pew to their knuckles turn white, refusing to be obedient to the gospel. Hell is so horrible in the fact that you'll remember that. A lot of people get mad at the mirror, but why? The mirror gives the true reflection. You recall Romans 3 verse 4 says, God forbid, yea, let God be found true in every man a liar, that thou might be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. 
Every time there's a discrepancy between what God says and what man says, guess who's wrong? Man. God is always right. Yea, let God be found true, and every man a liar. Now we need to use God's mirror properly. And to use it properly is to use it obediently. James 1, 22 to 25. To be doers of the word. Matthew 7, as Jesus closes out this great Sermon on the Mount, He said, I will liken unto the man who hears these sayings of mine and, and does them. If any man hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew. But that house stood, because it was founded on a rock. But if any man hear these sayings of mine and doeth them not, I will liken him unto a man which buildeth his house upon the sand. For the rains came, the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and that house, what happened to it? It fell. And the Bible says, and great was the fall of it. Friends, we have to be doers of the word. We already quoted Hebrews 5 and 9, that he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. And that's a continuous action word. It's not just a one time obey and then be done. I have to continue to obey him. To use the mirror of God obediently is to use it frequently and regularly. Psalm 1 Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law doth he meditate both day and night. There's to use it obediently, to meditate on it, to contemplate on it, to to use it day and night. But also we must use it fairly and honestly. In Acts chapter 17, Paul had been to Thessalonica. Things didn't go so well in Thessalonica, so he leaves and he goes down to Berea. Verse 11, chapter 17, And these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily, whether these things were so. Friends, we've got to receive the teachings of God's perfect mirror with a ready mind, searching the Scriptures daily, proving all things, holding fast to that which is good. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 21. God's Word is truly the mirror of the soul. Are you looking into it? It'll show you the true picture. It'll show you the true you. John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through truth. Thy word is truth. If you're not a Christian, would you not render obedience to the blessed gospel the only way to save your soul, knowing full well your state being found outside of Jesus Christ? You come just as you are. You don't come in your self-righteousness, You don't come thinking, well, I really don't need Him. It won't do you any good. You just come just as you are. Looking into the mirror, the mirror tells us that we must believe. John 3 and verse 16. 
We must repent, Luke 13 and 3. We must be willing to make that good confession before men. We must be willing to be baptized. Romans chapter 6. One of the greatest chapters for baptism in all of God's revelation to mankind. Romans chapter 6. Therefore... We are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Verse 5 says, For if we have been planted in the likeness of His death, we will also be in the likeness of His resurrection. You know the antithesis of that is also true. If you haven't been planted in the likeness of His death, you will not be in the likeness of His resurrection. Oh, resurrected you will be, but you won't be able to share in the glory of God. You see, the wicked will be resurrected, but they won't share in His glory. You see, if you've been planted in the likeness of His death, you will also be in the likeness of His resurrection, resurrected to eternal life. It's as simple as ABC. He that believeth and is baptized is the he that shall be saved. And then live faithful. Revelation 2.10, often a verse that we, we quote at the end of the gospel plan of salvation. Be faithful, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. That's not a verse that teaches if you die at ninety. Matthew 10.22, He that endureth until the end the same shall be saved. There's your longevity verse. Revelation 2.10, in a book of persecution through and through, with Christians being persecuted to death, he's teaching that when the Roman soldiers come to get you, when the war clouds loom over the horizon, and they come to get you to put you to death, you don't bow the need to bow. You don't... Lose your convictions and die outside of Christ and be lost. The backdrop to Revelation 2.10 is Romans 8.18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Be thou faithful unto death and I'll give thee a crown of life. Maybe you've done all that, but you haven't been faithful. Maybe you've given your body to be buried with your Lord by baptism into death, but you went back out into the world. Friends, if you have sin in your life, you can't hide it from anything except in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only place that you can successfully hide your sins. So we would beg with you and plead with you, if you have need, don't leave this assembly and be lost. Get in a right relationship with God. Eternity is too long. Hell is too hot. And it is too certain to be found unfaithful on that final day. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, please do it right now as together we stand and as we sing.